Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 24, entitled Warlock Awakens, in which I'll be examining number 21. By the way, stick around at the end of this episode for an interview I had with my nephew. He's a comic book fan, and he just read his first New Mutants comic. When he saw me interviewing my brother, his uncle, his other uncle, he really wanted me to interview him. And, yeah, I did. It was pretty cool. Uh, His first New Mutants comic, by the way, he read was New Mutants 87. So, yeah, stick around. It's, It's a pretty good interview. I hope you enjoy it. So quickly, before we dive in the episode, we're going to do what we normally do, and that's review the creative team. And it, and it hasn't changed, honestly, since the last uh, issue. Claremont, Sienkiewicz doing the art, uh, Orzechewski, Wynn, Nascenti, and Shooter are all still doing their jobs. Uh, but we have a, a, a co-letterer, um, and that's Louis Bahalis. And I'm not sure if I pronounced the name right. And, uh, yeah, he's... Orzechewski has an assist on the lettering in this issue but that's our creative team and we will dive in to this this issue uh, New Mutants 21 Slumber Party so this issue opens with a great great page here Um, and we've got eight different panels here and it's establishing this great great scene we we see the mansion in the darkness it's night the moon it's a full moon above the mansion uh it looks as though it's probably spring we got leaves on the trees and we see a whole bunch of faces in the woods and there's just a whole bunch of just clut clat uh you know people talking it's just uh, people talking about this is the right place, and let's just keep walking. And they and they're moving up towards the mansion. It's a long, it's a big group of uh, people, dark, dark silhouettes. We don't see who it is, um, and they're saying it's awful lonely. My feet hurt. They've been walking since uh, the road, and they've been moving through the trees. Uh, and they knock on the door, and we get this, you know, it's it's silent. And and then the lettering here, the the knock. Uh, it's just, it's like so scribbled in. Um, it's just like breaking the silence that is the eve- the night here. Uh, and then the doors open and we get the drink, right? From like the horror movie, uh, like from a horror movie, an old horror movie where the door opens and it lets out this loud creak. And there's somebody who's peering out from the outside and says, you're late, and beckons them upstairs into the mansion. That mansion's dark on the lower levels, and they, and, and they all head upstairs. Um, and, and this whole page, it reminds me, like I said, of this horror, uh, horror, uh, horror-like movie, an old, old, like, 50s or 40s or 30s horror, right, where this very... Uh, very much uh, what it seems uh, Claremont and Zinkevich were going for here, this horror trope. and it, or, or like even another thing I, that pops into my head as I'm looking at this page is like a Scooby-Doo, right? Where this, this door is open, it's like a creak. 
It's just perfect. It's perfect. And so we turn the page and we are confronted with a two-page spread and it is just an explosion of color and faces and just uh, dynamic imagery. We've got pillow fights and popcorn being tossed around the room. We've got balloons and streamers. It's a slumber party. It is a slumber party. And the thing is, we've only see there's only two characters that I can identify uh, in this page, uh, and that's Rain and what looks to be Ileana, who is huddled over a radio. And the cool thing about the way this page, these two pages, the spread is laid out, it's as though we're the people who'd come up the path. We're the ones who, we're the we're we're part of this group that had come up the path to the mansion to join this party, and we are confronted by the party as we move into it, and we have two of the people in the foregrounds talking almost directly to us, saying, hi guys, I'm Wheezy, welcome to the party. And Rana, what kept you guys? Which ke- What kept you? We've expected you ages ago, right? They're talking directly to us. And we see, like I said, pillow fights. These two girls are reading magazines and we've got people eating popcorn. And in the midst of all of this excitement and joy and happiness and screeching and squealing and just laughter rain is concerned saying you know she is such a introvert and she is so concerned about her purity and her pious her piety right and remaining um holy in the eyes of the lord at the same time she believes she is a creature of satan right such a weird dynamic but she is constantly concerned as though her actions she's already condemned but her actions will only condemn her further it's it's an odd place for rain but she's always concerned about that we've come we've come we as the readers have become accustomed to that and we see that here rain is concerned she doesn't think uh she fits here um and then we turn the page and we get the story just takes off. We get Danny. We see her in a wheelchair for the first time. Danny's, you know, in after this demon bear saga, Danny has healed. She's healing, but she is still her body is still in rough shape. She wants to dance. She wants to join the festivity. She's telling that to to Liana, and Liana's like, "Hey, you know, you need to rest. You need to relax. You need to take it easy. Like your body was." You were almost killed. You know, you're lucky to be alive. Your body needs time to heal. So, you know, you just need to let it heal, essentially is what Danny uh, is told. And we see here Amara is is in the, the picture here, too. Um, now, there's a group of girls and off in the background that Danny and Ileana and Amara don't seem, or Rain, for that matter, don't even seem to notice. And they're having a discussion. And two of the girls are like, you know, you need to, telling this third girl, like, you need to relax, like, enjoy yourself. You you should really, like, take it easy here. And they're whispering. We see that in the way that the, the word balloons are, are laid out here. Uh, one of the girls is saying, what's the matter with you, Marcy? It's getting so we can't go anywhere with you, right? Where's your sense of adventure? Like, they all kind of are aware and they probably all told each other stories about this place, about Xavier's school. Like, they're aware that these kids are different. Like, they're all from different parts of the world. 
Um, there are different ages. There's not like a set age group. It's a small group of kids that are at Xavier School. It's not like a high school. It's not like a normal private school like we might have saw at the uh, Westchester Academy or at the Massachusetts Academy, right? That was a school of mutants inside a school, right? So here we're seeing very much a different take of that. We see a few mutants that are isolated from the world around them. They do interact, and but that isolation leads to people making up Filling in the blanks, the things they don't know. And that's kind of what we're seeing here with these girls. You know, and, and these two girls are kind of scolding their friend, who is very much concerned, right? Her, she's concerned. She, and, and you see it here. Zinkevich's artwork on this girl's face is fantastic. You can almost see her looking out the corner of her eyes, out of her corner of her eye, at these strange people she doesn't quite trust she doesn't quite understand and she's very almost judgmental and the way she is speaking to her friends it's like that it's like those kids in high school that would have ridiculed somebody else and that's what we're seeing here very much so at least my take on it my read on it is these girls they're they're gossiping and they're content to do that um at, for certainly that one marcy girl and this is all kind of happening un unbeknownst uh, to the New Mutants, uh, who are just kind of trying to fit in and have some fun because they've been through a really rough time, right? These last couple uh, months have been, you know, really rough on them. Uh, it's been a big adjustment for 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 like Amara to come into this new new uh place in the world. It's been really hard on uh Danny obviously. She was almost uh killed in the fight with the demon bear. It was really rough on the entire team when they had went to save Kitty. It's just been one struggle after the other after the other after the other. And now they finally have some downtime and they're going to enjoy it. They're going to enjoy it. And, yeah, that's kind of the opening of this issue. Uh, the next thing we see is we, we are cut away. We cut away from the, the, the joy and the happiness of this party, and we are in space. And we see Asteroid M, Magneto's base, and we know Magneto's, he's there. He's on Asteroid M. He is in uh, there doing whatever he does on Asteroid M, whether that's menace the world or make plans or plot or hide, right? We don't... Irrelevant. That's what he's doing. He's doing something on Asteroid M, and he witnesses this bright, beaming light. Something appears, drops out of warp, just feet off of Asteroid M's doorstep. And he does hardly has time to react. He does attempt to uh, shield it and push it away with his magnetism, but he is unsuccessful. And this thing smashes into Asteroid M, destroying it, just obliterating it. You see an explosion, and this thing keeps flying through. It's this that creature we've seen uh, issues back. It is now flying, and it's getting very close to Earth, we see, because we know Asteroid M uh, is an asteroid that uh, that is uh, just off outside of Earth's atmosphere. <clears throat> it is Warlock. And he is starved for energy. He needs to restore, re, refill his energy because he is dangerously low. Um, now, 
we get some gossip. We're back at the party now, uh, the next page. And here we see the girls are all kind of talking and gossiping. And Rain does not fit in here. They're all talking about guys, Tom Selleck, Michael Jackson, maybe Val Kilmore. Um, possibly, I don't recognize his face. Uh, maybe some... Uh, uh, musicians but they are talking about these people and daydreaming and saying they're cute oh they're attractive they love them they wish they could go on a date their bodies are great and you know just just chatting up a storm and that's just like it's it's presented beautifully uh here by Sinkevich. and rain is still very much out of place She's isolated herself from the group. She sits off in the corner. And, you know, I'm not really getting a sense that she necessarily wants to fit here. She just wants to be left to be, almost, is the sense I get from her character in this, in this, uh, at this point. And uh, girls are dancing to the music. We see Michael Jackson doing his dance. It might be a poster on the wall, and this girl's trying to mimic his moves. And Amara's just not, and you know, here's Amara trying to fit in with these girls. And she has no idea. She's so isolated. She'd been so isolated for most of her life. She doesn't know what these girls are talking about. She doesn't know who these men are. And this girl points that out. Like, what? <laughs> it's Rome, like, just, can, she doesn't understand. Is Nova Roma, like, just disassociated from the world? Like, you're just so out of touch with reality? And Amara, like, takes this and... Like a, she just doesn't fit, and she apologizes, but internally she's very, she gets upset. She's pretty upset. She gets extremely upset. Her anger starts to get the better of her in this moment, and she, there's the earth begins to shake, and Rain notices this right away that Amara is struggling with her, you know, with anger at this point. She's been felt like she's been uh, ridiculed by this girl, judged unfairly, and like this girl just doesn't understand her. And this this lack of like confidence in her ability to associate with the world around her really is something that Amara does not like. And unfortunately, it's not something that Claremont's really going to spend a lot of time exploring. Uh, Amara is going to slip away from the center cast of the, and just become a kind of like a, almost a wallflower. She never gets the attention from Claremont that her character really deserved. And so we don't see much character development in Amara. But what, what does seem to happen is when she feels uh, as though she is out of place or out of touch or doesn't quite fit in, she gets angry rather than, you know, maybe that is to mask fear that she is uh, just not capable of being part of this world. At any rate, Rain's scared and uh, really doesn't know what they're going to do. If, if Amara loses control, like, they can't use their powers. If they reveal their mutants, all these people will know. Thankfully, Amara's able to get things in hand. And this girl who she had been talking with, who'd kind of been blunt with her about not quite getting things, uh, apologizes to her and says, hey, sorry, I didn't mean to be such a jerk about it. Um, and they kind of mend the fence. Amara uh, becomes actually the point of uh, the girl's attention, 
right? Because Amara, one thing we do know about Amara, that she has been well established, that this is the fact, is she's a, she's a very attractive woman uh, or girl, right? Roberto and Sam both, you know, stumble over their two feet to try to, like, get in, you know, to get in her good graces to to date her, right? They're both very attracted to her. And these girls notice her, her beauty. They notice her elegant gold jewelry. They notice her elegant gown that she's wearing, right? It's silk. And these girls are fascinated by this. And they all kind of begin to crowd around Amara. And and this, like, does this spins what has occurred, what is occurring here. This talk of boys and the talk of <clears throat> all this pop culture and then the noticing of Amara's beauty, it really spins uh, everything that has been occurring at this party. And now it's their desire is to make someone over. These girls decide that Rain needs to be made over. And meanwhile, Rain is just struggling here. She has been struggling since this party had begun, apparently. And she wants to fit in. She wants to be able to join her friends. But she just doesn't, you know, it just seems to go against everything she's been taught. You know, that the things that they're doing, you know, she's been taught that the things that are going on here, that they're just wicked, right? These are things that she shouldn't be engaging in. Um, but they're her friends, and she does want to join them. And she doesn't think what they're doing is wicked, but in her heart, she fears that it is. And so she's really just holding herself very much like in just kind of withdrawn into herself. She's spending like every panel that she is in, we see thought bubbles. She is just stuck in her head and very much like wrapped herself into a cocoon. She's got her knees pulled up into her chest and her arms wrapped around them. She is very much introverted in these scenes. And that group of girls that had been circled around Amara, admiring her beauty, they turn their attention to rain. And they're going to make rain over. That's the decision that they've come to. Ileana grabs a make-it basket, and all the girls charge after rain in their hands. We see rain cowering away from them, putting a hand out. She lets out a scream, uh, hands reaching towards her, and she begins to transform. Danny, Ileana notices this and calls to Danny, and Danny uses her uh, psychic rapport with rain to to tell her psychically to chill out, that they're not going to do her any harm. She just needs to relax and enjoy this. Um, and and Rain doesn't transform into a wolf. And and the girls do. They they put tons, you know, they make her up. They they do a makeover. They, they put makeup on her, help her get her makeup straight. They get a new gown, it looks like. I mean, they just do the whole thing. It's a complete makeover. The thing about this, the thing that I struggle with here is this is all done very much in in a way that it's not it rain is not consenting to this at all like what happens here rain rain is forced into it she she clearly doesn't want to have this happen but only through the prompting of danny who basically 
Like the way Danny puts it is, relax, Firetop, you're in no danger. None of us mean you harm. Trust me, girl. Shape shift back to normal now. It's like this demand, right? Like, and like, I think that they intend well, but like, certainly is not Rain's choice. Um, and I think, you know, Rain, she sees this as very much like, this is the way girls used to tease her when she was growing up. This is the way the girls, they'd get together and they'd pick on her. They'd just target her. And so this is for her, it's bringing up just these uh, terrible associations. Now, like I said, the girls do it, Ileana and all the others. They they change her. And they, they, you know, give her a makeover. The two male members of the team, Sam and Roberto, they're returning from a baseball game and they're reminiscing about how wonderful it was. And Roberto, you know, it's just just a great scene. Um, and throughout this conversation, what ends up happening is their families are brought up. Sam talks about his father and his grandfather, and Roberto also begins to think about his dad and the relationship he once had with his father. And that that for Roberto was a very influential relationship when he gained his mutant abilities, that's really when his father and his relationship began to deteriorate. And then, of course, we know that Roberto's father joined the Hellfather Fire Club, the inner circle, and <clears throat> was used to uh, basically try to target Roberto and the mutants uh, by by Sebastian Shaw. Um, but Roberto remembers this wonderful time when they used to go to games together, soccer games and theater, and they were like able to talk all the time and they loved each other and they were like best friends. And that has changed. And Sam tells him, you know, given some time, he might go back to being that person. You just might have to give him time. And Roberto <clears throat> isn't so sure about that. Like that's the same thing his mother told him after his own father tried to kill him and his friends, Roberto and his friends, in the jungle in, in Brazil. Well, this conversation never really resolves itself because the boys notice the lights on in the attic of the mansion. And so they go and they knock. They know the girls are having a party and they think, hey, maybe they want our, you know, maybe they won't mind some company. And so the boys knock on the door and the door's opened and Sam doesn't recognize the girl who opened it. We know it's rain. And he, he's thinking to himself, who is this gal? She's gorgeous. And he asks for the other girls of the team, his teammates, right? He asks for them by name, including Rain. And Rain, she becomes really upset by this. She transforms into a transitional wolf form and punches Sam in the gut. And Sam drops to the floor just with a big slam, <clears throat> curdling, curdling, holding his stomach, right? He's in pain. And Ileana tells him, hey, guys, this is girls' only party. You need to skedaddle, right? And so they leave. Uh, Danny and or Roberto and Sam leave, uh, both lamenting and commenting on the, the temper that Rain has. And, and Sam points out that she's got one heck of a, a gut punch as well. Uh, the girls uh, are inside, and they appear to be playing... A game of Ouija. Uh, they probably have the Ouija board out and they're trying to talk to spirits, um, which is kind of odd considering we have Ileana and Limbo, like the, the sorcerer of Limbo here. Um, now, Danny does her best and does actually a really good job comforting Rain here, pointing out that, yeah, Rain might be upset with Sam, but he really thought she was just, all he saw was this gorgeous girl. He didn't mean anything by it, but he really thought she was attractive. And Rain, 
her naivete kind of comes out here, right? And she's like, you really think you thought I was gorgeous? You know, like, she's shocked by this, obviously, because she's not used to being the pretty girl. And, like, I don't know how I feel exactly about how this plays out. I could totally see this dynamic being the thing, right? Uh, We've seen this kind of in movies in uh, the 80s uh, and really movies in general where this the makeover uh to make somebody get you know if you if you just make yourself pretty enough you will get whoever you want like that's very much a trope in our society it's been that way for all those you know for a long time and it's definitely played up in romantic comedies and uh teen movies uh i don't know about teen novels but you know this idea of the if you're just pretty enough, pretty, you know, like somebody will find you attractive and like you, um, and you just change the way you look and you'll get what you want. Right. And so that's kind of what's being poked at here. It seems to me, but Rain feels really bad about having punched Sam in the gut and she's worried that he won't forgive her. You know, you know, she's kind of, that's where she's at with it. Meanwhile, Ileana is sitting there with Lockheed on her head, and one of the other girls just is in awe that this this hat that Ileana has looks so realistic. The stuffed animal looks as though it's a real... Uh, it looks so real. She's shocked by this. Meanwhile, the boys, they go down to the lake, and uh, Sam, he's having a swim in the lake, uh, Roberto's just, you know, really just bummed out. He's kind of <laughs> done with with the evening. He's really feeling homesick at this point. He thinks it's too cold to go for a swim. And, you know, Sam's like, you know, I get it. You're homesick. I am too. You know, that's what he tells Roberto. He tries to sympathize him with him. And again, you know, that before they can really get into any of that, like, sense of like loss that Roberto is feeling really strongly at this point with his father and being away from Brazil for so long. Robert, uh, Sam notices a meteor in the sky. He calls out to Bobby pointing at it and it crashes into the water with a big swoosh and Sam rockets after it, diving into the water in his cannonball form. Uh, he lifts this big meteor out of the water where he and uh, Roberto begin examining it. So Roberto, you know, reaches out to touch it. He's in a sunspot form, and Sam's concerned that it's going to be hot. So, you know, he had warned him, and Roberto says, no, you know, it's cool to touch. And the two of them, you know, with all their knowledge, uh, decide that they're going to take this meteor that they found in the lake they're gonna take it into the lab and they're gonna leave it and then xavier and the whoever else can examine it they'll be the ones to examine it because they don't think they're not confident and and they decide they're not going to interrupt the girls slumber party they already told not to go in there the girls probably wouldn't care anyway so they decide so they, they leave it in the lab and, and they and they leave um we find out here that sam is a big sci-fi geek because Roberto had asked him, like, how do you know so much about satellites and meteors? Well, Sam, you know, I'm, I'm a sci-fi geek. And he drops some names. Um, Heinelin uh, is an author of his that he really enjoys. I probably mispronounced the name. Just butchered, I'm sure. Um, 
And the book that he was currently reading is Door into the Shadow, which these are actual science fiction <laughs> books. So, uh, and an author, you know, uh, Claremont was probably reading them at the time. And as they're walking away, you know, they're talking about this stuff. Warlock has awareness. He's he's beginning to rouse this alien uh, techno techno organic being is beginning to to come to. And on the next page, we get a big splash page of Warlock kind of unraveling himself. And we see this just squiggly lines, this beautiful being that, that Zinkevich is certainly the creator of Warlock. He is the first artist to have ever drawn Warlock. And his Warlock is stunning. Like it is literally just a jibble of squiggle of lines and... Uh, circuitry and just just it goes you know warlock just spills out everywhere on the page i mean he is stunning and you know this warlock's in shock kind of he's he's beginning to come to he's beginning to realize where he's at he's beginning to like survey his landscape scanning it trying to decipher what is going on where exactly is that and where this power source that he had he had sensed from space where it was and and he sees something, an outlet in another room. He may not interpret it. He might not know what that is. But we, the we the reader, seeing for his, through his eyes, we see this outlet, and he sticks essentially sticks his finger in it like a kid might. And you guessed it, he does draw some energy from it, but he is electrocuted. And this big the shock that he's this jolt of electricity he takes, it knocks the power out. He he overloads the circuits. The power's out, blinks out in the whole mansion. The girls up in the attic, they don't even realize this has happened. They're in the dark anyways. They were playing Ouija, and they continue to play that. So upstairs, the girl's playing Ouija, and Rain's very concerned because the New Mutants, they've faced demons. They know that they exist. The girls that are there from the, from Westchester, they might not know. They have no clue. They think this is just all fun and games. They're just trying to scare themselves. But Amara taunts this and, you know, continues to p- poke and prod it. Rain's concerned that they're going to draw something out. Danny takes care of this concern. She summons this beast from somebody's mind, somebody's imagination. And the girls are in shock of it, right? And Rain, he gets a kick out of it because she knows what, what's happening. She realizes that Danny did this and that it actually kind of loosens, lets tension off for Rain. As this is all kind of happening, Lockheed, who had been sitting on Ileana's head, you remember, flies away and this, you know, it's something else that stuns the girls at this, this slumber party. And downstairs, we see Warlock kind of making his way through the, the lower level of the mansion, trying to find food, something to, to consume, something to give him energy. And he comes to this plant, this organic plant. He, he touches it, and it takes, he, he corrupts it with this techno-organic virus. And once it's fully converted to this techno te- techno techno-organic form, he can then siphon the life glow, as he calls it, the life force from it, and gaining sustenance. 
So the plant is just left as a shallow husk, nothing left. It's just some like statuesque figure, right? It's, it's inorganic now, it's just dead. He continues and he finds the fridge and he's kind of interested, intrigued by this. It's just full of this food, this organic material that could just be consumed at any time and just stored. And as he's, you know, just examining this, he's attacked by Lockheed, who breathes flame on him. Uh, it, it doesn't harm him, but he is startled by it. And there's a, you know, crash and, you know, a screech downstairs. Everybody upstairs hears it, and so did Sam and Bobby. Ileana runs downstairs, assuming it's Lockheed. She'd been following him anyways, and sees this this creature attacking Lockheed, and, and she springs into action. She summons her soul sword, and she swings at it. It does no damage. And in fact, he swats her away. Warlock swats her away. And when she hits the wall, she looks down. Her, her nightgown's been just destroyed. And now that her arm, that silvery armor that she'd been gaining when she was fighting the demon bear, it's, it's consumed her body again. It's protecting her. She does, however, act. She summons a demon from limbo, and it, it does attack Lockheed, but he converts it into using the techno-organic virus, just can, turns it into a techno-organic being and siphons the life from it. Leland is like a hollow husk, just a shell, a statue, if you will. He also reaches out and grabs Ileana's arm, and, and Ileana's hand begins to transform into this techno-organic. She begins to become corrupted. She yells for Lockheed to stay away because it's you know, going to consume him as well, and she ports him, herself and Lockheed away using her teleportation before Warlock can reach out and grab them. Now the new mutants realize something's up, and Rain has transformed to her transitional wolf form. She asks because Daniel wants to know what exactly is happening, and they're talking, and the boys do tell Rain exactly what happened down at the lake and how they brought this satellite into the lab. Danny's not impressed. And Sam, he's... You know, and, and Rain tells him this because she's communicating with Danny, or yeah, with Danny using her psychic rapport, that link. Danny's, just, you know, not happy. She's really very upset about this whole thing. And Sam really takes this hard. This is a really important moment because we're, we're getting more from Sam than we probably really have. We've seen Sam struggle. And he'd done this at the lake, too. He was questioning whether his powers would work in water. And he found out that they did. He had never tried that. So that was a success. But here we get Sam having failed. He didn't think this through. He's the oldest. And he, he makes a bad choice. And he tells us further, and we get through his thoughts, through the thought bubbles, that he's had success throughout his life. He's never struggled really before. Like, he struggled financially. He's struggled and that his parents have struggled, you know, financially. He's not had a lot of money. But when he tries something, when he puts his mind some, to something, he's always had success. He's always been met with success. He's never had to struggle and fail. He's never failed. And this is the first time he's been really faced with continual struggles and failures. And he's beginning to wonder if 
he's maybe not really cut out to be a new mutant. Maybe he's just a failure and that he shouldn't be here. But he doesn't have time to dwell on this because this this thing is downstairs wreaking havoc. And, and they know Ileana and Lockheed are down there. And, the, and Rain, she transitions into her wolf form. She's going to track this thing down. And she does that. She does track Warlock down to the basement. And Warlock is startled by her appear- this appearance of this wolf. And Amara's not far behind Rain. She blasts it with, with a lava blast. It does not harm Warlock, though. This physical attack does nothing. Sam's the next to act, and he rockets using his cannonball power. He smashes into Warlock. The two of them fly through the, through the wall and out into the yard, slamming into a tree. Sam recovers and rockets away. He does notice that Warlock reaches out and touches the tree. It is transformed into a techno-organic... Th- transforms the tree, right? And he yells to Amara that this is happening, and Amara says she, she notices this. She realizes it's happening, and she knows that her lava blast won't hurt it, so she's got to try something else. And she opens a hole up beneath Warlock. He falls into the hole. Roberto's congratulating her, but she realizes this might not be enough. And she's right. As Warlock's tentacle, tentacle of Warlock's rips up through the ground at her legs, it grabs her leg, Bobby reacts quickly in his sunspot form. He grabs the tentacle and he rips it in half. Warlock screeches. It's caused him pain. It's hurt him. He screeches, just a terrible screech of pain, and flees towards the mansion, back into the back into the mansion. Danny's still inside. She knows what's going on through rain, obviously, and. She also has realized two girls have left the slumber party. They've been talking all night about going and exploring the mansion, and now she's not sure where they're at, and she decides she has to find them and get them back to the party. So she gets up. She's in a wheelchair, remember? She stands on her two feet, and she begins to walk, and and it's extremely painful, but she's glad to feel pain because that means the nerves are working, and she's happy that she's able to walk, but she's only able to walk a few feet, and she collapses in the hallway. She realizes her muscles are too weak to continue. And while she's sitting there, she's confronted by the monster, this beast, this, this, this alien. And, and it approaches her, and it reaches for her, and she's terrified. She does let out a scream, but at the same time, she is able to pull something from it, the back of its mind, something it's, it's fearful of, terrified of, and, and Warlock sinks to himself he's, as he's screaming, shrieking, Father Mangus, Father Mangus. And just like turning into almost paper, he flies off the, the balcony and, and away. Rain finds Danny leaning against the wall and, and realize, you know, they begin to communicate about what's happened. Uh, and, and Danny tells her she's fine. Um, and and then these two girls that had been missing from the party show up, and they see Rain, this cute dog, and they they they're very pleased to see Rain. Um, the two of them communicate, and Danny tells her that what she'd pulled from its head, and that that this thing is more probably just as afraid of them, right, as they are of it. That it probably doesn't want to do them harm. It just what they need to be able to do is communicate with it. More than anything, if they could just communicate, they might be able to to set things right. 
And so what she really wants to do is find this, this warlock, cre- this creature, but they also are going to have to get something to help them communicate. And that something is a human named Douglas Ramsey. You remember him from when he was uh, taken to a school in Ma- Massachusetts and was a prisoner of the White Queen? Well, he's also a mutant. And his gift, his gift, his mutant ability is the ability to, uh, to understand languages, mastery of languages. And so he is going to be needed to help them communicate with this, this alien. So uh, Sam does that. He, he uh, rockets off and he, he's going to go and get Doug to help communicate with Warlock. Before we get to Doug's interaction with Warlock, I do want to circle back and talk about something I did kind of gloss a little quicker over than I, than I probably should have. And that's this, this interaction with those two girls that had snuck away from the party and Sam, Dan, uh, Rain, and, and uh, Bobby. So these two girls had snuck off, right? And they're trying to find their way back to the attic and the party. And they go into a wrong room, and they see Sam fly by the window. Uh, they catch a glimpse of his butt and his boxers and the back of his head, and it looks like he's carrying somebody. Um, and and they point to it. They turn and they see this that demon, right, that that had been transformed and then had its life glow sucked from it by Warlock. It's now like this statue, and they scream. And they turn and and they see Sam, who's shocked to see them. And he's holding Amara in his arms, and she's uh, laying unconscious. And he tells them, you know, they need to go back to the party, that the power's been knocked out, and, you know, Amara was also bumbling around in the dark downstairs, and she fell and got hurt, and and they need to go because they're going to get hurt too. And he's really upset, right? And And they do. They go back to the party. Rain had turns to Roberto at this point, and, and she asks him if she asks this foolish as these girls had. And Roberto says, on occasions, we all do. You know, and I love this because this kind of harks back to the beginning of the story, or Sam and Roberto's entrance into the story, right, where Rain punches Sam in the gut and her concern and just the silliness that occurred with her interactions with the two boys. Um, and it's not a majorly important part, but I just, I love that we're tying back into it. And this subplot, the soap opera, soap opera like qualities of this story, right? This, this, these high school love triangles that are still in play here. Anyways, uh, they do decide, like I said, to go get Doug Ramsey. And, and <laughs> thankfully, uh, Warlock is headed down to the sub-basement, and he's in the danger room. He is trying to figure out the controls, trying to find a way to access the power source, and he ends up falling down into the danger room through the window, the control room window. And he's laying almost, you know, at the end of his life there. And Sam does bring Doug back, and they're, they're you know, happy to see him, obviously. And... Doug's at the controls trying to figure out a way to communicate, right? And Sam, 
Sam standing there behind him, shirtless, just the bottoms of his uniform, basically his uniform down, leggings and the boots and without a top. And he asks Doug, or, you know, he says, you're upset. And Doug's response is, how would you feel if a supposed pal yanked you out of a sound sleep, informed you he was a mutant, and you're a mutant, and he flies you to the place, to to his place, to establish meaningful dialogue with a potential hostile alien. Shh. And I just love that response, right? And so Rain, she asks him, you know, what what are you doing, Doug? And Doug's like, well, I'm trying to establish, trying to communicate, you know that we're the dominant species on this planet, trying to like just lay out some basis for communication, trying to give him some information about us. Doug also is very shocked by Rain's appearance. He's very startled by her as a werewolf. In the same way Rain was, not in the same way, I shouldn't say that, that's way too strong, but he's very taken aback by it. They all are. They're all, when, they're new, when new teammates come on, they're always terrified by these different things um and and i like that because that's so real right and not only like mutants who are experienced who who are mutants would still have fears and concerns when they were confronted with other mutants that they didn't understand didn't know I, i love that about this book we get that we get that window and that window grants us an understanding to why humanity would fear these people who are different. It's, it's, I, I think it's an interesting uh, take, I guess. Anyways, as Doug's typing away on the control panel, up shoots Warlock's arm. And Rain warns him to look out, to not get touched. And Warlock starts typing away. And Warlock informs the new mutants and Doug, through Doug mostly and through imagery, of his his past how he was born in this techno-Atlantic world, how his father is the Mangus and he is the warlock, and they are forced to do battle to the death. So as a warlock comes to age, he's supposed to confront Magus and the Magus. If he is victorious, he will go on to have another warlock. If the warlock is victorious and kills the Magus, then the Magus dies, obviously, and the warlock is then the Magus, and the process repeats. Warlock did not want to fight, and instead he chose to flee, and he flew away, and Magus chased him, and that's how Warlock ended up on Earth. Now, Warlock is at the end of his energy. He collapses down in the in the danger room. He's, he's weak. You know, he's he's failed. He's failed to escape. He's failed to defeat the Magus. He is not he's not a techno organic being. He's not been a, a good warlock. He is something is wrong with him. And he is now drained and has not found a way to survive and, and in fact will probably die here on the planet of Earth. And Sam asks why, you know, we see in the panel Warlock's handshaking and Sam asks what's wrong and, he, you know, Doug's like, well, he's at the end of his rope. He's, he's dying. And, and the team tries to figure out, you know, what to do. They, they're just not sure what to do. 
uh, Doug's decides, you know, he's going to try to establish some sort of communication because they don't want to risk their lives to help this thing because what if it's not, what if it's, what if, if they give it energy, help it survive, it might just turn around and kill them all. That's their fear. And so Doug's trying to establish communication. So he's playing with lights to try to get verbal communication established with this being so that they can communicate and then they can make some decisions on how they're going to help him. Rain's done. And Rain's speech here, it's extraordinary. This is my favorite part in this this issue. Rain, who's in her transitional wolf form, she screams, help him. We cannot abandon the lad. He's the same as me, as all of us, cast out and hated by those who raised us simply because of what we were, what we are, thrown into a new place among strangers. In my case, forced to redefine every belief that once ruled my life. I survived. Hard, though, the struggle still remains because I have friends who care for me, who are willing to stand by me no matter what. Deny him in any way you deny me. You deny every new mutant stand everything the new mutants stand for and you know they're not sold but rain has decided right and rain reaches out and she grabs warlock's hand they try to stop her you know they reach for her, but they're unsuccessful and rain and warlock grab hands and she isn't transformed but his hand it turns into a plug and she guides it she helps him find an outlet and he plugs into the outlet and he begins to take on strength and he's healing and he says thank you friend and now he's speaking and they're still holding hands they warlock shakes her rain's hand right rain and doug have really successfully saved warlock's life now later Xavier comes home and he's he's happy. He's very happy. He knows the new mutants are, you know, he he feels grateful that the new mutants are making friends. He knows they're going to have to clean up their mess from their party, but but he's really excited that they're making friends. It's something that the his other students have never had the chance to do. And as he's surveying the place, he's he's shocked to see the destruction, right? He's surprised because there's burn holes and damage throughout the place, and he's beginning to get a little concerned and upset. Um, and he wonders if they were under attack. Was there a battle? And then from behind, as he's you know like surveying this damage and chaos, Ileana teleports in. She's and she screams, "Nobody move! Where's that ugly critter? Let me at him!" And he screams, Ileana, and he asks her where she came from and where she got this costume. And and in this picture, you see her holding this gun and this blue like spacesuit and this bubble helmet um, and Lockheed's on her shoulder. And she's so happy. Professor Xavier, you know, she calls to him and she tells him she's glad to see him and that she's got this story to tell him. And he's like, well, I don't want a story. I need ex- some, you know, some answers. Explana- an explanation will su- suffice. And behind Xavier, as he's yelling at her, are the new mutants with Warlock. And he turns and his students tell him, 
that this is that they know they're bending the rules, but they'd like to introduce him to a candidate for the mission to the, to the school and the new mutants. They know he's not human, but he needs their protection, and he needs to be taught. Uh, he needs teaching, uh, and he's got nowhere else to go. His name's Warlock, and Warlock extends his hand to shake Xavier's, and. I'm just going to read what Xavier thinks because I think it's great. It's as good as the rain speech. Do I take his hand or send him away? Who are these children to make such critical decisions with neither my knowledge or consent? They are my students in large measure, what I made them. I can see from their thoughts that they act from the best of mo- most and most noble of motives. If these young beings... If this young being is worthy of their trust, he is worthy of mine. And Xavier does, in fact, take his hand and shake it. And it's a beginning, right? This is the beginning of the full full ensemble of New Mutants. The whole cast is here, right? The whole team that we've been waiting on has been assembled. And and this, that's, that's the beginning of Claremont's New Mutants. And this issue, this double-sized issue, is one of the best. This is one of the best issues, probably. I, I think the the art by Zinkevich, the way he lays out panels, the way he introduces us, the reader, into the story, and the writing of Claremont pairs so well together here, and visually and creatively tell this story so perfectly and like the opportunities for these like little spats amongst this deeper threat that is warlock and his unknown origin and his un- <clears throat> and and the fact that that they don't know whether he's a threat or not like it's fantastic i love the vulnerability we see of the characters right rain and and of course uh uh sam especially and I love, like, this, what happens to Danny in the Demon Bear Saga and this issue. I mean, this is Danny. This is like a prelude to what Danny is capable of. How stunningly amazing her character is. She, I, I, I love Ilian. I love all the characters. I love Sam. I love Roberto. I love how they're friendships begin to develop and how they interact with each other. But I think of all of the cast, of all of the new mutants, my favorite is Danny Moonstar. Her character is so amazing, right? And we see the seeds of how when in the future, when she loses her mutant powers and how she still stays on with the X-Men, whether it's teaching or leading teams without her mutant abilities, she is still formidable. She is tenacious, and her leadership skills are amazing. Her her willpower and her her just like tenacious nature are stunning, and and that is established early in New Mutants. You can see it here. You see it earlier. She is just a fantastic female character. Um, yeah. So that is issue twenty one. And as I said, we're going to follow 
uh, we're going to wrap this issue up, and then we're going to have a quick interview. So please stick around. Uh, my nephew is amazing, and I hope you really enjoy the interview. <clears throat> we're doing a short in- interview with my nephew, Lucas. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. So you wanted to talk to me a little bit about your interest in comics. Mm-hmm. And let's just start with a really basic question. What's your favorite comic and maybe who's your favorite comic book character? Um, I'd have to say my favorite comic book character is Spider-Man because he's just my favorite superhero. Um, and I really enjoy his comics, but my favorite comic is um a Spider-Man comic. It is The Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2 um 35, the 35th book in the series. Cool. Um yeah. So, what about Spider-Man is so interesting? What do you um, like about him? I think my favorite thing about him is he's very athletic, he's funny, and I think he's just cool, and his abilities are awesome. I just always liked him for maybe two years now. Hey, that's for you. I mean, you're pretty. You're still pretty young. Yeah. Two years is a long time of your life. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's cool. I think Spider-Man for a lot of people was a first. For some people, it's their favorite comic book character they ever yeah. saw. For some people, it maybe was their first character that really drew them into comics. So, however you go about your future interest in comics, Spider-Man will always kind of be a part of that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, he has been with me for a long time now. That's all right. That's awesome. I'm glad that you like him. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about comic book movies. Makes sense. Um, That's normally what people talk about in this kind of stuff, so I'm not surprised. (laughs) Sure. Um, Do you have a favorite comic book movie? Um, I'd have to say it's Avengers Infinity War. The most recent one. Yeah, so the most recent one. Cool. Um, what what about that did you like? Um, I thought that the that um all the comics that was summed up for it. Um, I've always thought that they that their idea for the movie was really good, and I actually understood um quite a bit. Of, um, some reasons why I understood several parts of the movie is because I've read some of the Infinity War comics and. I like how they all summed up, and I thought it was just really interesting, and it was just good. No, that's that's awesome. And I saw a lot of good Marvel characters, too. That's always a big plus, right? Yeah, I got surprised quite a bit. Yeah, being able to see the characters on the big screen, larger than life, Mm -hmm. is pretty amazing, isn't it? I thought it was pretty cool to see Iron Spider. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was pretty cool. I... To be honest, to be fair to the listeners, I haven't seen the the Infin- yeah. uh, Infinity Wars sorry, yet. Sorry no, if you're I fine. Anything. You didn't spoil anything. Okay, so it's been out a real. while. I've <laughs> I've seen plenty of spoilers on the internet, still, so no worries. Makes sense. Um, what do you think you're most excited for me to see if we watch it tonight? Um, I'd probably be excited for you to see. The way they did Thanos, 
Like, okay. the way that they made him, like, actually make you think that he's scary. I mean, <laughs> no matter what, Darth Vader is still probably scarier. But... <laughs> no, but, enough. But... I mean, Darth Vader is probably the most scariest guy, but moving on. <laughs> um, that's side conversation. But, um... But I think the reason why I think you'd like Thanos is because you're a fan of all that, like, the big guys and... You like all the, just like the kind of stuff that he does. I think that you'll really like him because you get to see more of him. Because in the um, the short scenes that you see at the end of credits, you see him, but you don't get to know much about him. You like see, you get to know a lot more about him. You see what he's capable of. Yeah, he's really cool. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. There's sad moments though, but. It's mostly awesomeness. <laughs> mostly lot, awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of cool fighting in it. But a little bit of sadness. Yeah, Stan Lee's cameo is really good, though. That well, that's weird. good, because mm. um, I'm sure you heard that Stan Lee passed yeah, away. Yeah, I knew that. How did, like, what was your reaction when you heard that? I was, well, when I first heard it, I didn't believe it, because I heard it at school, and I'm like, well, I always hear rumors at school that aren't true, so I don't think it's true that he died. Well, I started believing it more when I started hearing everyone say it, and I saw it on the internet a lot, and then I actually did discover that he died. I don't remember how, but I was really disappointed, and I it made me probably uh, just look up Stanley stuff, and I don't know. I was just really disappointed, because I mm. really like him. Yeah. Um, and... And, uh, I think in the sequel to Infinity War, you aren't gonna see him. I just heard this, I don't know if it's true. I mean, it might not be Infinity War, it might be in a different Marvel movie, but I think that you are gonna hear his voice, but you're not gonna see him. What? You're just gonna hear his voice. Instead. Yeah. Well, we'll find out, won't we, coming up. Yeah. Next, next big Marvel movie, I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll find out. Yeah, it was a sad day when I heard the news. I was really pretty bummed out by it. Me too. Uh, Of all the celebrities that have ever passed away, I think he's the one that really had the impact on my life more than any other. I think one thing that made me... When I grow up, I want to be... I want to make movies. I want to be a movie director and act for my movies. And I think the reason why I want to do that is because of Stanley. Hey, there's a lot of people that would say the things that they do... Are a result of something that he did. Yeah. So that's cool, man. I think another reason's because of George Lucas. I love Star Wars. Hey, no, <laughs> it's nothing wrong with that. Movie of all time. So, moving off that sadder note, let's let's talk okay. broadly about why do you like comics? Um. Well, actually, I noticed that you and um your brother Uncle Lee, um, my well, he's my uncle, your brother, um, but. I've noticed that you've been reading them a lot, so I've been trying to read them as much as I could, and I couldn't ever get my hands on comics because, like, it's not stuff that you would find at school, and I didn't own any. But um, one day you came and brought me a bunch of comics that you've read before, and you said I'd like, and you brought them to me, and I was really happy. So I've been reading them, um, them, and I've actually gotten through like half of them. But um, I but then. This year, when my uncle Lee came um, after school, I think it was like the day after that, but we went to Mayhem Comics, and 
I got quite a bit of Spider-Man comics. I think there were only Spider-Man. Well, no, I got a Hulk one. But yeah, and I've read almost all of them. I haven't read the Hulk one. That's all right. Cool. Well, yeah. Like, I think for me, comics are a great way of story. A great way to tell a story. Lots yeah. of you know, some reading and some pictures um, really displays the action. Pretty awesome. When I tell stories, I normally do it in comic ways because normally, like when you just see words, people don't really read it because they're like, "Oh, that's not interesting." But when it's like a graphic novel or a comic, you're like, "Oh, that's cool. I think that's kind of interesting. I'll read it." So then I'll get more views out of it. So I like to do comics best. Cool. So while you just read, you bought a New Mutants comic today. Correct? Yeah, the New Mutants. I just finished reading it like five minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, it's I, it's not the five, not five. I think it's the True Believer reprint of New Mutants eighty seven, I believe. Yeah, I um, think that's what it was. What did you think of that? Um, I thought it was pretty interesting. There was. I haven't read any of the New Mutants comics until, besides until now. Um, I thought so. It was new for me. Um, I liked the way they introduced the characters. It was pretty interesting, and I also liked how they did Asgard. Um, but I think my favorite part about it was seeing um, uh, uh, what's his face? I always forget his name. Cable. Yeah, Cable. Um, Cable's my favorite character because he's just a cool one and he's new. He Another reason is because he's new and I like the new Marvel things. But, um, but I think Cable's really cool because he has all those guns and he's big and he is just a believer. Cool. You know... That cable character, he was designed by Rob Liefeld in yeah. the early, the late, sorry, early, late 80s, close to the 90s. Um, so Cable, from that book, he's going to go on to have a career in X-Force, which right. is about another 100-issue run. And then he's going to be having impacts in especially X-Men books. Um, so if he's a character you're interested and you could definitely... He's a character you could kind of follow. Uh, yeah. With some of the Mar or the Fox movies that have come out, though, especially Deadpool number two, uh, he he may... The co- books he's in may be a little more expensive than they would have been a couple years ago. But if, he's in, if you're interested in him, we could definitely try to find some cable books for you. Yeah. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and have this interview. Yeah, that was this was really fun. And you know, if New Mutants is something you're interested in, we can definitely have you read some more and yeah. have you come back on the podcast. That their comic um that comic was really short, I was gonna say. That well, was kinda short. It is a shorter issue. They're those reprints, I don't know if they're as long as the originals, but yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again. Yep. Thank you. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at Explore the New Mutants 
at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and can be found by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Another great way for the listeners to interact with the podcast is via the Anchor Voice Messenger. This allows you to record minute-long messages that are then sent directly to me. I can then place those messages directly into the podcast. It's awesome. You can ask me questions and your voice will be played on air. So if you have questions, thoughts, please don't hesitate. Reach out. Let me know. Um, Otherwise, thank you for listening as always. And keep reading those comics.